Good morning. Well, we are finally here. We are in the last week of our sermon series, Jonah, God's Relentless Mercy. This is our fifth week of studying this short little book, and there's still so much that we could have talked about, and I promise you there's a lot of good books out there that you could read that, uh, that could expound on this even more. And it's been quite a journey as we've been going through this, right? This whole series, the overarching theme that we've seen has been God's relentless mercy. The way God shows mercy to his people, even though we don't deserve it. And we've seen the way his mercy can melt even the hardest of hearts. We've seen how God's mercy transforms us to look more and more like him, and how that change in us works through us so that we can then be a light to other people. That the gospel changes our hearts and sends us to share God's mercy. And for Jonah... This all began with a call from the Lord, right? So we're going to get a quick little recap of what's happened to bring us up to speed at this moment. He gets this call from the Lord to go to Nineveh. He quickly responds by running in the opposite direction. As he runs, his relationship with God breaks and shatters more and more. He's then tossed over the side of a ship into the sea and heads towards certain death. And as he's getting to the bottom of that depth and that deadly place, God sends a fish to swallow him whole. Jonah's then in the belly of this fish, a dark, deep, disgusting place, and he has a moment of revival. God changes his heart, and as a result, the fish spits him out on dry land. The Lord then calls Jonah again to go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah responds quickly, but he responds quickly going in accordance with the word of the Lord. He's following what God's called him to do. He goes to Nineveh, calls out to the people, and then all the people of Nineveh began to turn from their evil ways towards God. That is the last four weeks of story, real quick in a nutshell. And so at this point in the story, Jonah's gone, right? And it looks like he's on the up. It looks like he's kind of got his life back on track. And we know that, that God's mercy has begun this work of change in his heart. And although he's gone through this massive change, it's still a process. He's still at the beginning of it. Just like the people of Nineveh, as they've made this change, as they, they turn to the Lord, they're in the beginning of a change of heart. And what we see here in chapter 4 is those unchanged parts, those parts of Jonah's heart that still need some work, start bubbling up to the surface. That struggle remains, and he's still a person, he's still a prophet in need of God's mercy to transform him. And that's, not, that's, that's more and more clear with his, uh, his response to what God does in Nineveh. So looking back at verse 1, we've got the verse on the screen for you here. Jonah's response. The first verse in this chapter is this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is fuming. He is furious, right? That's not the response of a happy guy. That's the response of an angry guy. And he's so mad that he's like, Lord, it's better that you kill me than what you've done here. That's some serious anger and aggression. But why? Why is he so mad? 
He's mad because God has been merciful to this Gentile city. Now, we do know from history that Israel, Jonah's people, and Nineveh have not been on good terms. So Israel's been on the receiving end of that violent and vile nature of Nineveh. And the, the first readers of this story, of this book of Jonah, know that and have experienced that even more. Like, they've gotten beat up, they've gotten killed, and all sorts of stuff. So you naturally may think, like, yes, like, he has every reason to be mad at Nineveh and lay out the list of things Nineveh's done wrong. But he doesn't do that, does he? He's angry at God. He gets angry at God because of what God did. It's not the people who received mercy. He's mad at the one who showed mercy. He's beside himself with anger. And in his words, the reason he is angry is because God is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He is saying, God, I'm mad at you because of you. I'm mad at you because of who you are, because you show mercy to people who don't deserve it. That's why I'm mad. God is the source. Normally, I think when we're mad at people, we probably like start and like, this is why I'm mad. Like, I can start to list it out. I've got a safe full of things that I've been storing up against that person. But that's not what Jonah does. His list is against the Lord for being loving and kind and true. He's saying, God, it's your fault that they are not punished the way I think they should be. It's your f- and it's your fault, God, that I ran away. It's your fault that I, everything that I've been through is your fault, and it's because you're merciful. And Jonah's reaction here, I think it's quite telling. I think it shows a lot about Jonah's heart. The one who received mercy himself throughout this whole story, story is reluctant reluctant, hesitant, and downright against showing mercy to the other people. And when his view of justice doesn't align with God's, he lashes out. And his anger unveils the realities of his heart. And the reality of his heart is this. The heart condition of sin and brokenness blind us to who God really is. We see this even more uh, in verses 6 through 11 at the very end of this chapter, at the very end of this book. Jonah and God are talking, and their conversation is centered around a plant, right? A plant that that God appoints to give him shade when he's already throwing this tantrum. He's out in the desert. God helps him out. And then Jonah falls in love with this plant, like he's comfortable. It gives him shade. It's able to protect him from the sun. And then the scene exposes even more of Jonah's heart because it shows that his blindness goes even further than that. It shows that everything is more valuable to him than obeying God, than being, uh, being one with what God's will is, and even his relationship with God. And it's gone so far off the rails that in verse 10, God says this to Jonah. He says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Jonah's heart has completely blinded him. The sin that remains has blinded him to who God is. In this question, God's saying a few things. Part of it is, 
Jonah, you love this plant which was given to you. You did nothing to earn it. This plant, this was my grace in itself was this plant. You haven't done anything for it. Yet you love it that much. Jonah, don't you know me? Don't you know my heart? If you love that that much that you did nothing for, how much do you think I love these people of mine who I created who are lost without me? Jonah, don't you know me? Don't you know my heart? And you should because you've experienced exactly what I've offered to them. These questions all arise because of Jonah's heart condition, that sickness. I mean, he even describes God the way Israel has throughout its history as a negative. The things that we think about God and his greatness, mercy, abundant love, steadfast and true, are the character flaws that Jonah says, and God, this is what's wrong with you. That's what's wrong with you. He's blind. He's blind to that condition, and it's manifesting itself in all sorts of nasty ways, because that's what sin does. As we're blinded and separated from God, it comes out in all sorts of nasty thoughts and behaviors and trends in our life. Again, sin and brokenness blind us to who God really is. Now, as we read this, I will say this, and admittedly, it's really easy to look at Jonah and like come down hard on him, right? Like, if you're like me and you've been reading this, you're like, Jonah, are you serious, dude? Like, how do you not see how far off you are? Like, dude, you sound nuts. Like, the very thing God, I have, God has given you, like, you're sitting there and you're angry about at him for. Like, what are you doing? I sat there for about, like, 15 minutes one day and just was like, well, I don't even know what it's like to be thinking what he's thinking. It was really easy for me to throw a stone at him. And while all those are like valid thoughts and points, right? I mean, those are good questions to ask. I mean, we're asking those right now. The truth be told, though, Jonah's not the only one who has this same conflict. Jonah's not the only one who has this sick heart condition. I think we can probably relate to that heart condition of Jonah's a lot more than we would ever want to admit, than we'd ever like to realize. We're not so different than Jonah is. Reality, our hearts are just like his. And it's bigger than just running from one of God's calls. It's bigger than just disobeying like one thing or having one area of our life that's kind of like, mm, I'm still working on that one. Because at the core of who we are, we all have the same heart problem. We all have that sinful blindness that's just inherent in each and every one of us. And just like Jonah, it manifests itself in some nasty, nasty ways. Some are more public, some are more private. And as we see in Jonah, that the more blind we are to who God is, the harder it is for us to then show mercy to others, right? So this sickness isn't just about us. And we may not mean for that to happen. We may not even realize that it is happening. But that doesn't mean it's not happening. That's sin. It's not only the things and behaviors that we do or don't do. It's a soul sickness. And it affects our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with other people. 
And it's so easy in all this to forget ourselves as we look at Jonah, as we look at all these other people like, oh, you have so much sin in your life. And we forget the mercy that we ourselves receive and that we are ones ourselves still in the healing process. And the more distant we become from God, the more and more blind we become, the worse our vision gets. And as a result, we can see our own sense of righteousness and justice kind of take precedent, right? That creates barriers and boundaries between us and God and all sorts of other people. And there are people in our lives that we're just not willing to show that mercy to. There are people in our lives that we don't want to receive that mercy if we're honest about it. Now, for whatever the reason, whatever the type of mercy that they may experience, uh, we want to withhold it. And that's because life is real. Life is painful. Life is hard. Our emotions and experiences, those aren't laughable. Those aren't just figments of our imagination. That's real. And there are people who have hurt us, who have made fun of us, who have struck us down who have abandoned us in our time of need. There are other people that we see and they hurt other people. They cause pain, they condemn, they demean, they destroy the lives of the people around them. And these are all real and they affect us to the core of who we are. They impact our relationships, not just with them, but they change our relationship with others. Because the pains that we experience in those things carry on throughout our life. And that's why it's so essential for us to bring those to the Lord, the great healer, because the wrongs done to us create barriers and blockades to those relationships horizontally, but also to our relationship vertically with the Lord. Not everything's as explicit as explicitly like painful to us in those ways. There are other things that can come up as barriers and blockades. We can struggle to extend mercy because maybe I can't relate to somebody. We don't share the same interests. Maybe someone's a little older than what I'm used to. Maybe someone's a little younger. They didn't grow up in the same neighborhood as I did. They didn't go to the same school that I did. We don't share the same tradition or the same history. So there's, uh, maybe I shouldn't go talk to them. Maybe I shouldn't extend that mercy. Maybe I don't, maybe I'm not the one to go to them, even though there's something inside of me telling me to go. But regardless of what those barriers are, whether it's pain, suffering, whatever these things may be, barriers are barriers. And hesitancy to extend God's mercy is hesitancy no matter what the reason for it is. We're not the ones to determine the way God shows mercy. Jonah struggled with that. And we want to hold on to that because of those things in our life. We want to do that. But we're not the ones to distribute the mercy of God. And praise the Lord for that. Because it was, if it was up to me, man, it would be all over the place. It would be inconsistent and it would be a train wreck. And at the end of the day, the, our core un, the core of our unwillingness, the core of our hesitancy isn't our issues with other people. It's not those things. It really is not in the end. Because at the heart of that is our ability, at a, of our ability to extend to mercy to these very people is our intimacy with the Lord. We're lacking in our closeness and relationship with him. We're lacking in the power of his spirit moving in us and through us. And we need more of it. Because just like this, 
all those people that we list, even the people that have hurt us, need God's mercy just as much as we do in every way, shape, and form. It's a sickness that we have. The good news is that it's not an incurable one. It's not an incurable one. And so as we get to that, as we start to explore the cure, um, it may be helpful for us to think, like, are there any barriers preventing us from wanting God's mercy to be shown to people? Are there times in our lives where we use God's character against God as a reason for us not to take that step? Do we sometimes say, ah, the problem is, God, you are too gracious. You're too abounding in steadfast love. You're too merciful. We found ourselves hoping against others receiving the very same mercy that we do. And for us to think about those things for our own heart, admittedly, this is tough. I got to say, like, so we go through this, like, it's, it's hard on ourselves. It can be. I don't know about you, but it's a lot easier for me to look through the window at somebody else than it is to look in the mirror at myself. It's a lot easier to do that. But would we be so reluctant to share the gospel, to evangelize? Would we be so reluctant to share God's mercy if we truly believed in God's character and we truly believed it was good? Would we be so hesitant if we really felt like the implications of us doing that were eternal? These are people's deathly, eternal life that are hanging in the balance. Would we re- react like Jonah when God shows mercy to people that we think are undeserving of it? Do our fears and reservations have more power over us than our own trust in the Lord and his goodness? This is tough. And I got to say, if I'm honest with myself, There's a lot of work God still needs to do in my heart. Because even though it's tough, because we're we're naturally bent towards brokenness, right? It's part of who we are. I mean, Paul in Romans 3.23 says what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're already fallen short. We're blind by nature. And so with all this wonderful, uplifting talk that we've had over the last like 10 minutes... You may say, well, you know, that's great. John, is there any hope? Like, is there any good in this? Is there any hope for Jonah? Is there any hope for us? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. Yes, there is hope. The good news is that Jesus fulfills everything that Jonah could not. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is the greater us. Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is greater. Where Jonah failed is I want, we're going to take a little capture of the book. It's pretty cool to see this. Because where Jonah failed, Jesus prevailed. Where Jonah was disobedient, Jesus fully obeyed. Where Jonah failed to understand the identity of God, Jesus Christ came as the incarnation of God. As Jonah ran away from his call to be a light to the nations, Jesus came to earth to be the light to the nations. As Jonah ran from the place that he was called to go, Jesus' ministry led him towards Jerusalem to die. As Jonah slept at the bottom of a boat and awoke powerless, Jesus slept in a boat and awoke and calmed the winds, the waves, and the seas. When Jonah left the city hoping for condemnation, Jesus went into the city to take condemnation upon himself. 
to accomplish salvation on his own. Jesus did all of this to fulfill everything Jonah could not out of his unimaginable mercy and compassion and love for us because it is in the character of who he is. Jesus speaks about this himself in our, in our gospel reading today. It's pretty neat. He claims that he's there to be the same type of witness as Jonah. That, that Jonah, like, even though he kind of went off the rails, like, like, look at the great things that God did through him. Through Go- Jonah, God redeemed a city, and Jesus says, but I'm going to do something greater. So through Jesus, he's going to redeem all those who believe. Jesus is even greater than Jonah. And every person who has been saved by grace through faith hasn't deserved it. None of us do. Not you, not me, not anyone. But God is good. And even though Jonah said it negatively, we see that the greatness of God's character is that he's a gracious God. He's merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's the God who saves. That's the God we love. That's the God we serve. That's the God that we worship here today. That all-powerful, all-knowing, and triune God who gave his life for us. And he's that same God who transforms our hearts. And the more he does that, the more we're going to know about his great mercy. The more we'll experience it. And the more that will change us. So... If you take anything away from this sermon series, there's been five weeks of it. That's a few minutes of listening to you if you've been here, if you listened online, a few minutes to catch up on. I hope that you, if there's one thing you take, if there's one thing, if the rest of it you go like, whatever, dude, just please take away this one thing. God's mercy is great. God's mercy is great. Because just as Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. And so as we come to the end of this book, as we come to the end of Jonah's story, uh, we're left with a question, right? This is great and this is good, but we're left with a question. God's question to Jonah. Jonah, you pity this plant that you did nothing for. Don't you think that I should show that same mercy to these people who don't know me? And they don't know how far they've gone. That's it. That's the end of it all. It ends incomplete. You're never told of Jonah's answer or reply. And I think that's intentional. Sinclair Ferguson describes it like this. It carries no conclusion because it summons us to write the final paragraph. It remains unfinished in order that we provide our own conclusion to its message. We stand together in need of the mercy of God to enable us from this day on to be obedient to his commands and to live to the praise of his glorious grace. God's redemption story is still in motion. and We're a part of it. As both recipients and extenders of that mercy and grace. God is working in us so that he can work through us. And just like Jonah, God's still at work in our hearts, and our stories have yet to close. 
And that's how we leave here this morning. A wonderful, beautiful, and eternally loved work in progress. And God is revealing to us more and more about himself. And as he does so, we're going to draw closer to him, to his heart. We're going to become more like him. He's going to transform us more into his image. And that transforming work is going to flow through us so that we can extend the same mercy that we received to other people. God is good. and His love and his mercy endure forever. Amen. If you would, please stand. We'd like to close again with another collect, which is a prayer from our, our new Anglican Book of Common Prayer. I think that this prayer sums up exactly what we see in the story of Jonah and the progression that he goes through and the place that we leave here today in. So would you please join me in praying this? Etern Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to you, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, so control our wills that we may be wholly yours, utterly dedicated to you, and then use us, we pray, as you will, and always to your glory and the welfare of your people, through Jesus, Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen? Amen. God is good. God is good. And in our response to that, let us proclaim our faith in this all.